Welcome to the Native Artist Podcast on Indigify, sharing the unique stories and perspectives of Indigenous artists. Oi, my name is Watsis Day, Christopher Ochter of the Haida Nation. I'm a director, screenwriter, animator, and former fisherman making animated and documentary films about the people and culture of Haida Gwaii. I came across Christopher Ochter's film, Now is the Time, a couple of months ago, and I couldn't get enough of it. You'll hear a little bit more about this film, but what really drew me to it was the beautiful, well-placed animation that blended expertly with the footage of a totem pole raising in Haida Gwaii. I looked more into his profile and I saw that he has a really cool job as an animator and that he takes a lot of care telling indigenous stories in this way. I'm your host, Andy Murphy. Stay with us as we speak with Christopher Ochter. Chris and I are in Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada at the National Film Board of Canada. We're at his desk where there are prints from animated film projects he's completed and storyboards from works in progress all on his walls. Notebooks and loose pages filled with drawings are on his desk and he's working on a new project, a graphic novel. His name is Quegurando, uh, and he's, he's the noble one. He's the one that eventually holds up Haida Gwaii and keeps it from sinking. And when he moves, that's when there's earthquakes on Haida Gwaii. So this is the story of how he got there. And he's very highly respected with the supernaturals because he's holding up and giving a place for both the supernatural and the humans to live and, and, and yeah, the, because I haven't done it in color yet and it's all just storyboard, this is actually the first time I'm trying to add in some color to the character. He's wearing like a, uh, like sea otter type or maybe even, sea, maybe, maybe it's seal kind of garments, like his garments are made of that and he gets a lot of his strength from bathing in the ocean. So that's why I thought, oh, you'd be wearing kind of like sea otter or seal type um, type skin or fur. Let's see. And one of the problems is as well is I'm I'm a bit colorblind. So I really need to see like the names of the colors to know which I'm what I'm grabbing. When I was first starting out too, I was doing some illustrations for uh, Dana Claxton for her series on ABTN. Uh, and it was funny because I'd send them to her and and it was almost when we were done the season and we were talking and I told her that I was color deficient or color blind and she said, oh, that's why your colors are so funky. <laughs> but I like to, um, this is not turning out 
as awesome as I'd like it to, but I often like to mix uh, Copic pens with um, with pencil crayon. And I'll often use like the Copic to give me the shading. And give me those shadow areas. Usually I like to have like um, some kind of uh, white uh, pastel or charcoal pencil that's in white uh, that will lay over top of like pencil crayon and then if I'm blending colors together like I'll take I'll go for pink I guess and I'll lay down some color maybe it's some kind of weird lighting that's getting this some kind of sunset or something And then I'll I'll take like a blender and work that in. Maybe I got something. Oh, it's the drawing in me. I'm working on a, a graphic novel uh, called Noble One. I think you could say it's an epic. It's definitely taken me an epic amount of time to complete. The story took so long for me to fully understand in a way that I could tell it properly, like seven years long. And um, it seems like the graphic novel might want to take that much time as well, but I've, I'm storyboarding it in, in, in my sketchbook and... I eventually want to turn that into a film as well. So, uh, but uh, the graphic novel first, and then either an animated film or maybe live action. I don't know. So, but I, I got I got things that I'm working on and trying to keep it exciting. Yeah. Why seven years? Oh my goodness! Well, it, because it was one of those stories that I was so interested. There was so many, and, and it's such an epic story and on its own. But it was it was recorded by. Um, Swanton, who who in like 190 between 1900 and 1901, he recorded. He went around Haida Gwaii recording all these stories because they thought the Haida culture was disappearing, so they wanted to record them. The story that he took down on on this particular one, you know, I was so fascinated by it. But there was there were sections in it that just like there are. I just couldn't understand them. They were told in a way that either it was common knowledge then, so they were just show, uh, told in shorthand that just kind of blew over my head, and I was like, I have no idea. So there would be these, me trying to figure out, what is he talking about? But I found that I needed to learn other stories to understand that story. I would be be learning a new story, and then uh, there'd be those those eureka moments where it's like, ah, that's what they were talking about in that scene, on the, in, in that story. So... It took a while because I needed a series of those eureka moments to fully understand my the, the story that I'm doing, Noble One. So my writing needed to get better, and that was like an example of where I'd show my my Uncle Mike the story, and he'd say, well, it just it feels a bit flat, like there's something missing. And again, that was enough for me to, to kind of go back and reflesh it out. So I must have did a, a dozen or more rewrites, which from for writers, they might be hey, only a dozen, but <laughs> I don't know, for... For me, it was a lot, and it took a lot of time and a lot of effort, but it came out when it wanted to come out, I guess. Chris Ochter's origins as a digital storyteller began with his education. So my origin story for, you know, getting interested into animation always came from this desire to want to be a better drawer and stuff. And I always remember this one point where I was like, well, 
we eventually, when I was older, we moved to a, pl- a place on Haida Gwaii called Lawn Hill, and it was a little bit further up the coast. I remember walking from the bus stop and, and walking back to home after school and thinking, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And I was like, well, I'd love to be a better drawer. I don't think you'll find another job that you have to draw more than animation. That, that was the sticking point for me is why I got into animation. When we had lived in, in Miller Creek, which was our other location that was right beside the beach, I remember we get together with, uh, with like uh, some friends and, and cousins, Jesse Jones, my, my cousin Ramey, my brother, uh, Dean, and we made like the story of Troy or something like that, like with, with, with film. And, and I, f- I forgot about that. And we used like a little plastic uh, horse riding toy as the, the big horse that gets through the gates. And my dad who owned a trucking company, he had this big, huge garage, like and with these big, huge gates so that the logging trucks and dump trucks can get through so they could work on them. And we used that as the big gates for the, the city of Troy. The other film we had made um, um, was on the War of 1812. And I, I remember getting these huge welts on my back because my friend Jesse Jones shot me with the paintball gun. I was maybe five feet away. Just, just the other side of the camera, he started shooting me. So it looked, it looked like I was getting you know, blown to pieces by an actual gun. It hurt so much. It was, so I like put my hand behind my back on, on, on where he hit me. And then he shot another one and hit me right on the hand where I put my hand. So I was like, oh man, I, I couldn't get on the ground quick enough and, and, and act like I was dead. It was, uh, yeah. So those are like my first moments of, of remembering that I, I did have a passion for, for working in film too. So I went to Emily Carr, the Institute of Art and Design, and I majored in animation. I got my Bachelor of Media Arts from there. Way back, I started in 1998 and I graduated in 2002. I, I knew early on that I wanted to do work for and with the National Film Board of Canada. It was when I was young, I, I did see a lot of their films on uh, Super Channel, which was a, the movie channel at the time. And, and in between movies, they would have National Film Board films on. So I knew early on that I wanted to do work with them. There was, there was something there. And that was one of my first jobs. My, my teacher, Marilyn Trenko, got me in on um, Daniel Jenke's film called How People Got Fire early on. It was a great learning for me. I, I, I did it all in, in charcoal. Daniel wanted something different, and I had filled sketchbooks with um, designs for him. And they were, I guess, what you would say in, in, in the direction of, of something you would maybe see uh, Walt Disney do or something at the, you know, Disney. And he's like, no, I just, I just want something different. I wasn't hitting the mark for him. After one of these sessions where I was showing him my, my stuff, I, I went back to my desk and I was actually a little bit frustrated. I was like, why? I'm just not getting this. So I, I grabbed a stick of charcoal and just in frustration, I like quickly did these, these sketches of this uh, raven and a goshawk, which were the two main characters that I was, I was designing. And then I went on and started designing more. And a few days later, when he saw my sketchbook again, He's looking through, looking through, and it's still, no, no, no. And then he stops on these charcoal drawings, and those are the ones he likes. And he says, yes, let's do this. This is, this is it. And so then I had to try to figure out how to animate a whole, like, maybe eight minutes worth of animation, all in charcoal. And this is on paper. And it was a big, um, a big undertaking for me, just being fresh out of school. And, but what a, what a great project it was. And I, 
I, it was at the National Film Board's old office in Vancouver, and everywhere I go, there'd be black fingerprints on everything, on, on, on the scanners, everything. The custodian staff, they were wondering, why can't you put plastic on the ground? Because their, their mops would come out black with... Yeah. I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised I didn't get the black lung from from doing this 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 work. But it was um, it it really helped me as an artist and as an animator to animate like that. And then I, I also, in the meantime, because uh, you know things often take their time uh, in terms of getting green lights and stuff. So in between when we were in pre production uh, for how people got fire before it was greenlit for production, I went to Sheridan College and learned how to do computer animation there. Um, yeah, that was the last of my, my in-school formal training. But I, also, I always find that I'm constantly trying to fine-tune my skills and get better. Um, so I'll take online courses from schoolism, and the, those will be maybe a character design course uh, uh, taught by Daniel Ariaga, which is he's like one of Pixar's top, top character designers. And um, um, Justin Gobi Fields, which is a Z, he's a ZBrush sculptor, and he's he does amazing work too. He's like these are like top people in our craft and stuff that are teaching these courses. So so I'll use all that, and I'll use it in in my storytelling to either create more compelling characters and stuff with my animation, and and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm I'm doing animation. I want to do documentary, and you know maybe. Uh, just outright film as well, and like graphic novel. I'm working on a graphic novel right now, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of dabbling in a lot of different areas. But the one thing that they have in common is story. So it's all fair game to me. I see it. Chris definitely has his hands in many different storytelling mediums. I asked him what his favorite part is about telling a story, and he jumped right into the art of character design. I really look forward to that that part of the filmmaking process. It's just the looking at what the character needs to be and and trying to figure out different ways to describe that character. I'll give one example. Um, So amazing filmmaker, uh, Loretta Todd, I worked with her a lot and I, 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 I hold her up as the person that's really given me the sandbox to learn to be a storyteller through film and animation um, because she's given me so many opportunities to create for her projects that I can one you know create something to the best of my ability but also the opportunity to make some mistakes and go okay that didn't really work but but that did so I'm going to do more of that but she's she's working on a film right now called Monkey Beach and she asked me to create uh, this this water spirit and this this water spirit's a, a little bit of a darker character. It's it's kind of pulling at at the our, our main character, and and um, it, it's just a, a dark spirit, I guess, is, is how to describe it. So how do I create this character and and give it something that maybe hasn't been seen so many times? And and once it's and it's an indigenous story too, so. Um, we we could have an opportunity to show things from a different perspective. So when I was designing that character, I gave her quite a few different ones. And one of my favorites was that, um, like when we're fishing, you're always looking out for these things in the ocean called deadheads. And they're these, um, 
these pieces of wood that's floating and you just see the top of them, but it's kind of like an iceberg where you just see the tip, but below is much more. So it could be, it could be like a, a stump or something like that, or it could be a whole log that you, you might run your boat into, or you might run your, your fishing net might get tangled in one and then your whole net is gone. Um, um, so I designed a character based on the deadhead so that like the, the head of this character is like a stump and it's got like this, this kind of, uh, spooky face in it, right? And but what's holding it up is a bunch of water. So you could see you could see the head sticking out, and you could see all that underneath that's underneath the water, and and the, and it moves around. I try to use hide a form line to bring out its silhouette. So it's uh, yeah. So I was really I was really excited about that character. We we didn't end up using it, but but that that was you know uh, so much fun for me to to flesh out that character and design it and. And, um, another one was like, I, this, this character that walks around and he's, he's got like a, a a cedar hat on and, but he's always being rained on. Like there's always rain coming down and there's always a puddle wherever he walks and stuff. And he's, he's made, made of water, but very much in a bit of like a, a human form. And I just have so much fun geeking out on, on the art of, of character design and then, and then the fun part of bringing them to life, those, those characters that came from, um, you know, a shadow in your head that you're, you're bringing into the light of the world. We'll be back after this short break. Since the dawn of time, the salmon have returned. Compelled by instinct, they respond in the millions. A reminder that, with purpose and perseverance, we can chart the course of our future. As Bristol Bay Native Corporation has done for nearly 50 years, investing in future generations here in a place that's always been. Welcome back. This is the Native Artist Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and check out all the other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Andy Murphy, and I'm here with Haida animator, director, and screenwriter, Christopher Ochter. My first directed film was The Mountain of Skana. Skana meaning both killer whale and uh, supernatural which um, uh, Jal and Edenshaw taught me that, which was became the perfect name for the film because it has to do with the killer whale. And uh, the killer whale brings our fellow, uh, he's a master sea hunter, his name is Nana Simget, and steals him away and brings him to the, to the supernatural world under, under the ocean. Nana Simget's love, uh, Kuga Coons, she goes after him to try to bring him back and, and she's helped by, by Mouse Woman who sends good-for-nothing Martin and Hummingbird with 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 her in the canoe to try to find 
where it is that the mountain of Skana is in the ocean. And she has to find this two-headed kelp. Like that's kind of like the marker to, for, for where she is. And, you know, Hummingbird kind of scouts out and good for nothing Martin's supposed to be smelling for the whale's bad breath. That's the, the story. It's a, commonly known as the Nana Simgit story. Like Bill Reed carved it on his, his Skidigit pole. That was, was the only pole up in Skidigit the, the whole time I was growing up. And it was, it was right in front of the, the band office at the time. And uh, yeah, it was one of those, those neat moments that when I was working on the story, I didn't know that, that part of that story was carved on that pole that was right in front of me my whole life growing up. Um, yeah, and I changed the story a little bit. Like in in the in the in the original story of Nana Simgit, his wife or his 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 love that gets taken away. And I thought, you know, I was I always grew up around these strong height of women, and I just didn't it just didn't fit for me from where you know the vantage point of where I'm sitting today. That um, that a height of woman would wait around for a, a height of guy to come come rescue her. Like I I just thought if if she if one if, if if she was taken by the killer whale she would have, I think got out of there on her own. But uh, my second film uh, documentary called uh, Now Is the Time, it revolves around on uh, August twenty second, nineteen sixty nine, which is when Robert Davidson and Reg Davidson, two brothers, uh, Robert was. 22 at the time, Reg was 14 at the time. They carved the first totem pole carved and raised in Masset, Old Masset, Haida Gwaii, in nearly a century. It was a real big moment. It became like such a symbol of, of resurgence in, in, in our art and culture again, because it really put it out that it was okay to do our art and, and perform uh, our ceremonies and uh, our dances and our songs and the potlatch. Which had, been, which had also been banned, but um, none had really happened in, in, in decades as well, uh, at least a big one like that, and out in the open. Um, so they saw it was okay to do it again. We're not getting arrested. We're not being persecuted for, for demonstrating this. And it was a story that I learned, you know, from having the opportunity to do this. The Nash, uh, Barbara Wilson... She's in the film, and at the time in, in 1969, she was a young, a young Haida learning the art of filmmaking through the National Film Boards um, of Canada's um, Indigenous Film Crews, which are they're calling. They're trying to teach Indigenous youth how the art of filmmaking. She got the film crew up there, and she got them to go and film film this event on Haida Gwaii and Masset. When it came time to editing the film, she got pushed out. Um, didn't see it for 49 years. She asked the NFB, can I see the film? And when she saw it, she was so disappointed. She hated the film. So she asked if something new can be done. And yeah, that's when they said yes. And they knew I'd just done the Mountain of Skana. So they asked me if I would uh, be interested in taking, taking the story and, and creating a new, new version of it. And I was so happy that they did because it gave me so much. It gave me I had forgotten that I had this passion for working in film as well. 
and want it awake in that. And the I think the more important aspect of it, it gave me a chance to learn this part of my history that I didn't actually know about. I didn't know that there was this moment, I guess this this kind of dark out period or this this moment that maybe if that pole wasn't raised, that moment maybe would have been another decade later where something like that had have come along and we'd be even further back with our art form and, and re, resurging all of that. So, yeah, I hope that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, what a, what, a, what a gift it was to be able to work on this film. Yeah, It was a really powerful tour of the film. Like, in Masset, when we, we, we had the community screening in Masset, Oh my goodness! I don't know if I. I think that was that will be a, a come down as as a real unique moment for me to be able to witness. Because after the film, everybody stood up onto their feet and um, were clapping. It was really great because people would share, get up, take the microphone, and share a story from that time. So the film became like a jumping board for for a moment like that where they could share how much it meant to them or talk about you know loved one they've seen or or talk about that day and and further flush out the story of the first pole raising a big part of his work as a filmmaker animator and director is learning about indigenous stories and then interpreting them for a broad audience it allows me to to learn more about my culture for one and to learn our stories and the ones I get really interested, it gives me an opportunity to bring that, well, one, back into our community and then also for, for other people outside of our community to have a chance to to hear our stories. And yeah, there's there's difficulties in terms of I don't want to get it wrong or I don't want to get it, you know, like I, I, I think it's okay for me to interpret the stories in a storyteller's way, each storyteller is different. It can't be word for word the same because where's the fun in that, right? And it's and everybody's got their own personality, so they put their own stamp on the stories. So that's what I try to do with the stories. Um, but they're not easy as well because um, often when I first start a story, I could see that I'm really interested in the story, but I don't fully understand it. So it's that searching of, one, understanding it, and two, being able to tell it in a way that, that suits it, I guess. And so, you know, sometimes maybe I'll ask my, my Uncle Mike, who's a great teacher of mine, and in, in the height of culture, the uncle is usually the ones that will teach the nephew the ways of the world and stuff like that. The nephews would often go at a certain age and live with the uncles and the uncles would, would show them how to do things. And this was part of, you know, one of our, our traditions. And in a way, that's what I kind of had with my uncle. I, I didn't go away and live with him, but I spent a lot of time with him. And he, we would be driving up to Mass and he would tell me some our old stories and show me things with the land, show me what, you know, seaweed, what we could do with seaweed and just he would constantly be teaching. He would find these these beautiful teaching moments, and I learned a lot from him, and, and he's an artist as well, like a really fabulous artist. He does um, Haida Manga. His name's Michael Nikolaiakalanis. I don't think I said that. I just I think I just called him my Uncle Mike. But his, his name is Michael Nikolaiakalanis, and yeah, he does these beautiful... Um, car hoods that have these these form of that his unique form of of interpreting Haida art it's very playful and very colorful I'd say I got a lot of my I guess playfulness from him as well like you just uh 
Yeah, so I would ask him if I'm having trouble with the story. Sometimes I'll ask him or I'll, I'll have him read the story that I'm writing. And, you know, he, you know he, may, he might not say much, but he might say, oh, it's just missing something. And that's enough for me. Like, that's all I need to go, okay, what is it missing? And, and, and I, I relook at the story and, and kind of try to flesh it out even more. And it's hard in those ways, and, um, but so much fun in so many other ways. That was Haida artist Christopher Ochter. Find out more about his work at nfb.ca, the National Film Board of Canada website. You can find out more about the Native Artist Podcast at nativeartistpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please make sure to rate, subscribe, and comment. The music by Enoch artist Reet. Additional music in this episode from Christopher Ochter's films, The Mountain of Skana, and Now is the Time. The Native Artist Podcast is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, the Siri Foundation, supporting Alaska Native education, culture, and heritage since 1982, and the Bristol Bay Native Corporation. This episode is produced by me, your host, Andy Murphy, and this is a production of Indigify. Indigify.